Uh, so encounters. Uh, I love the encounter that we're going to be uh, looking at uh, today because uh, specifically, Jesus encounters some of the, the most unlikely characters that you would think that he would actually give any attention to. Uh, I love that this encounter is a story of the most unlikely character uh, who has what most would say is the most unlikely response. Uh, I love that uh, this character, who is certainly an unlikely character in the gospel narrative, uh, does the most unlikely thing uh, for Jesus in particular. Uh, you know, in this story, there's going to be some usual suspects that uh, you would anticipate some people want to come and, and rain on this celebration. Uh, that we're going to have today. And so we see the usual guys coming in to try and dampen uh, the celebration. Uh, but once again, we see Jesus doing the unexpected thing. Uh, Jesus engaging someone who no one else would engage. Jesus talking to someone else that no one else would talk to. Uh, and ultimately, Jesus beginning a relationship with someone that most people had written off for as good as gone. Um, I think one of my favorite uh, aspects of the story we're looking at is I love what it personally uh, teaches me about Jesus, and I hope it will teach you uh, about Jesus as well. One thing it teaches me is that it's never too late. It is absolutely never too late. So wherever you are today, it is never too late to begin with Jesus. Uh, you are literally one decision away uh, from having a life changed and a life uh, walking with God in the life that he created you to live. Uh, it's never too late. Uh, and that's one thing in this story that just jumped out to me is we meet a guy who probably thought it was way too late until he met Jesus, and Jesus gave him a, a fresh start, a new beginning. Uh, I love that uh, in this story, uh, Jesus never looks at me or you or anyone else for that matter and says, man, you're just too far gone. Like, I see the way you've lived, I see what you're currently doing, and you're just too far gone. There's no hope, there's no help for you. Uh, I love that we see uh, Jesus, he never looks at me or you or anyone else and declares, you know, your past is just too jacked up that it's beyond redeeming. Because of what you've done yesteryear, yester month, yester week, it's just your past is too horrific that I can't even associate with you because of your past. Uh, and I love that when we meet Jesus in the story, he never looks at me or you or anyone else and declares, you know, you're just not a good fit for my team. If Jesus is looking to expand the, the family of God, the kingdom of God, uh, team Jesus, as it were. He would never look at anyone sitting here today and say, yeah, you know, you're just not <coughs> a good fit uh, for my team. You look too funny, you smell too funny, you sound too funny. Your past is, you know, he just never looked at anyone and said, you're just not a good fit. And Jesus never looks at me or you or anyone else and declares, you know, you are just beyond my love. You are done too many unlovely things. I just can't love you because of the unloveliness in you or the unlovely things that you have done. I love in this encounter, yet one more time, I'm reminded, uh, personally, I hope you'll be reminded, is that there's no one who is like Jesus. There is absolutely no one that you would ever encounter uh, that would have the same profound impact uh, as King Jesus. Uh, I like how uh, Blaise Pascal actually said this. Uh, he said, the encounter, or Blaise Pascal uh, said, Jesus is the God whom we can approach without pride and before whom we can humble ourselves without despair. It's another way of saying, come to Jesus as you are, not as you think you are. Come to Jesus, not with makeup and masks on, uh, 
and come to him as you are and knowing that he'll meet you where you are. He'll love you where you are. This is uh, the story uh, of a man named Levi uh, in the different uh, gospel accounts uh, and actually Matthew's account and Mark's account. Uh, Levi is Matthew. He had uh, two names. Uh, and I'm going to read the story from Luke uh, chapter uh, 5, uh, starting at uh, verse 27. It says, After this, that this being Jesus was healing a lot of people, uh, calling some other disciples to follow him. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were sitting, eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the usual suspects who, who show up, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a very uh, short story uh, we're looking at this morning. And my aim as we go through uh, this story is to really look at uh, five things. There's an invitation, uh, there's a decision, there's a celebration, there's a complaint, and then there's a mission. So this morning, we're going to go through pretty quickly, but I want to walk through five aspects of the story, the invitation, the decision, the celebration, the complaint, uh, and then the mission. The invitation we see in verse 27, it says, after this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth, follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, I realize this might seem like a very simple invitation that Jesus is throwing out, but in the first century, it was unheard of for a rabbi to go to someone, a potential student, and tell the student to follow him. And he would not do that because it was beneath him. What would happen is a student would want to latch on to a certain rabbi, uh, a certain rabbi who was well-respected, uh, who was a top-notch class A uh, rabbi, and what he would do is he would position himself around that rabbi. Uh, and in time, if the rabbi took notice to him, the rabbi would start taking this potential disciple or student through a series or battery of tests. And the tests were, I want you to tell me what Leviticus chapter 11 says verbatim. And the rabbi would take his, if you're going to follow the rabbi, you would have to have the entire, the first five books of the Bible memorized. And so they would quiz you. They would quiz you on uh, 613 different Old Testament laws. What law is this and where is it found? I mean, all sorts of things. Now, the reason that rabbis wanted the best of the best is because their students were a reflection of the rabbi. And so a rabbi would not want to have a, a D-level student because that would reflect ultimately poorly on him. So if a rabbi just let anyone follow him, he would not really be a well-respected, well-sought-after rabbi. So it was pretty unheard of for Jesus to go to a group of men who were unschooled, untrained, ordinary, uneducated men known as fishermen and tell the fishermen, I want you to follow me. Okay, that, was, that would have caused a lot of commotion in the first century. But what Jesus does in this invitation, 
Jesus goes to a tax collector and says to the tax collector, follow me. Now, if it was one thing ruffling some feathers causing a group of fishermen to follow, it would have blown the minds of the people that, wait a minute, you want a tax collector to be on your team. You want, a, you want to associate yourself with a tax collector, and you have to know something about tax collectors. They were sellouts. These were Jewish men who prostituted themselves to the Roman government and said, we will collect taxes for you, but we will take money, uh, give it to you, but we will take some off the top to line our pockets. So not only were they working for the enemy, they were literally selling themselves out to the enemy. They were known as traitors and cheats. Tax collectors, they had their own category. There were sinners, and then there was tax collectors. If you even notice in the story, and in multiple stories throughout the Gospels, well, there was tax collectors, and then there were sinners. They had their own category to themselves. But Jesus did not see Levi. He didn't see Levi for how others saw him. Jesus looked beyond what was seen, and he saw to what God saw in this man. I love that Jesus looked beyond the appearance of what this man was, what this man was doing, and he saw something different. He saw what God had created this man to do, and Jesus invited him to follow. Now, most people would think if Jesus was actually going to approach this tax collector, he would have hit him, rebuked him, condemned him, would have done something to publicly mock this man for being a traitor and a sellout. But Jesus walks up to Levi and gives him the invitation of a lifetime. And it's as simple as, follow me. As I was really sitting with this invitation uh, this week, one of the things that I just couldn't escape my mind was how simple Jesus made it and how complex we often make it. The invitation that Jesus gave to Levi, and it's the invitation that Jesus gives to us as well, is simply this, to follow him. Now, this does not, if any of you guys know me well, you know I care a lot about sound doctrine and sound theology, but it's tragic when I see someone who begins to care a lot more about what they believe than in whom they actually believe. And they start following this person for what they say and this person for what they do, and they lost sight of following Jesus. In many ways, Christianity is not that difficult. It's a decision that we make, are we going to follow Jesus or are we not going to follow Jesus? I know when I'm getting lost and confused, I can always come back to the simple question, Michael, who are you following? And if I've taken my eyes off of Jesus, well, I'm getting myself in a bit of trouble. Following Jesus means this. He's leading, I'm following. Jesus is leading me in truth. Jesus is leading me to serve. Jesus is leading me to give. Jesus is leading me to love, to be gracious, to be kind, to be merciful. As I follow Jesus, he is leading me where I need to go, where he wants me to be. Now, the question obviously becomes, how would this tax collector respond? So part two of the story, we have an invitation. It's the invitation of a lifetime. Well, now we're looking at the decision. Verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Now, it almost seems so unbelievable that I don't know what Levi actually knew of this man. Jesus was pretty popular. He caused a lot of commotion, lots of crowds always gathering around him. So he certainly knew Jesus, at least by reputation. But I love Levi's response. It is incredibly decisive and incredibly quick. He left everything and he followed. Now, you have to understand for Levi, if this didn't turn out well, there was no turning back. If he turned his back on the Roman government, it's not like Rome would have his job waiting for him. It wasn't like the Romans were like, oh, Levi, take a sabbatical. You know, I see how this Jesus thing goes for you, and we, we promise we'll hold your job open with open arms and maybe even give you a raise when you come back. For him to walk away from his position was an incredible thing that this man was doing. But he says, or uh, Luke records, he left everything and he followed Jesus. Now, as I've thought a lot about Levi, uh, specifically this past week, I've been really trying to wrestle with who is this guy? And I think an accurate conclusion uh, that we could come to is he was the guy who ended up in a place where he never really wanted to be. It's safe to say if when Levi was 12 and someone said, hey, Levi, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? I, I seriously don't think Levi was like, man, I'm going to be a tax collector and I'm going to turn my back on all my fellow countrymen and I hope everyone hates me. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be when I grow up. That is my goal. That is my aspiration and dream to be hated by all. I don't think this man orchestrated all of his life around wanting to be a tax collector. He's the guy who ended up in a place that I think where he never ultimately wanted to be. Now, question, have you ever asked that of yourself? How did I get here? And we don't usually ask, how did I get here until here is really bad? Or here is the place where it's a place of brokenness. It's a place of wounding. It's a place where there's lots of division and conflict. And you ask yourself, how on earth did I end up here? Or have you ever asked the question, how did I end up being that guy that I don't even want to be around? It's not like Levi set out one day, it's like, yeah, I'm going to see how many, enemies I can, how many enemies I can make. How did he become the guy that it's a good chance Levi didn't even want to be around himself? Now, I'm guessing for Levi, in many ways, he gave, gave up hope that he's stuck. This is my position. This is my place. There's nothing I can do. I don't like it, but I'm just stuck in this place. So I'll just continue doing what I'm doing. People have completely rejected me. And certainly God would want nothing to do with me because I'm not even just a sinner. I'm a sinner who sins for a living. I just don't have a title of sinner. I'm actually sinning every single day. Now, I don't think it was easy for Levi to leave everything even though he was hated by everyone, because at least what he had, it was comfortable, it was familiar, it was known. But what I see in Levi is a man who'd grown tired of walking the road he was on. And when Jesus invited him to something different, there was a glimmer of hope. And when Jesus invited him to something new, to something different, he saw in Jesus someone who was worth following. And when you see in Jesus someone who is worth following, leaving this to follow him is not that difficult of a decision. 
But it got to come to a point where you say, how did I end up here? And I don't want to be here anymore. And rather than trying to find your way out, you listen for the call of Jesus saying, if you would follow me, I have so much more for you. What I love about Levi, as he at least reminds me, is a man is not defined by how he starts, but how he finishes. Levi is not remembered. Matthew is not remembered as the man who was a traitor, as a man who was hated by everyone. Matthew has gone down in history over these last 2,000 years as a man who was committed to following Jesus. It's a good question for you to wrestle with is what defines you? And if it's anything other than being a follower of Jesus, you will get to the point in your life where you'll say, how did I get here? And you will be defined by the place you are than the person you're following. What defines us is not what we do or how we do it, but what defines us is who we're following. And it's a great question. If Jesus is saying, follow me, you have a decision to make. And I love that Levi made the decision to follow. Now with Levi, he's a 10-minute follower, okay? He knows nothing except that I've left my business. I'm not sure how this is all going to work. I don't know where I'm going. I just know that I was invited and I said yes. And I love the response of Levi. He says, I've got to throw a party. I've got to throw a great banquet. So part three of the story is a celebration. Luke 5, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. <coughs> Excuse me. Levi throws not just a party, but I love how Luke emphasizes this was a great banquet. Why is it that Levi, the first thing that he wants to do in following Jesus is, I want to throw a banquet? Well, I'll give you two reasons why. He wanted to honor Jesus. He was so joyful in what Jesus had done for him that he wanted to honor Jesus by throwing a great banquet. Now, flowing from the heart of this literally 10-minute follower was gratitude. He was so grateful for what Jesus had done for him. Gratitude does not flow out of a heart that doesn't understand grace. Gratitude does not flow out of a heart that thinks I could have done this on my own or gotten my own way out. Gratitude flows from a heart that realizes I could never have done this on my own. I could never have accomplished this on my own. And in Levi, gratitude begins to well up in this man's heart because he sees Jesus had done something for him that no one else ever had. And I've got to throw a banquet in honor of this man, Jesus. And the second reason I think he threw a party is Levi understood pretty quickly that it's not just Jesus and me, it's Jesus and everyone. It's not just Jesus and me, and he's now my, my cosmic buddy, he's now my best friend. It's Jesus and absolutely everyone. I wonder if Levi, he didn't call his friends on a cell, but if he would have communicated to his friends a message like this, guys, you must come and meet the man who not only changed the course of my life, but who did not reject, mock, ignore, judge, or criticize me. He embraced me. You must come meet the one who, despite me being me, still wanted to be with me. I could only in, in imagine in my mind's eye how 
excited this man Levi was. And when I'm thinking about throwing a party, I'm going to invite all of my friends in hopes that they will meet this man Jesus as well. Now, I have no idea if anyone at this party decided to follow Jesus, uh, put their faith and trust in him, but I don't see it was Levi's job to convert them. I see it was Levi's job to build a bridge from where his friends were to where Jesus was. He invited, and then he trusted Jesus would do the rest. I've seen this happen a lot, and this might, maybe this is something you've done. I've seen people that they've met Jesus, they've begun a relationship with Jesus, and then they cut off ties with all of their family and friends. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. And that person is just going to bring me down. So therefore, I cut ties with them completely. I understand that there are certain people in our life that can be very toxic. I get that. But if we would follow Jesus, our heart is not to cut people off from us. Our heart is to be wise in how we do this. But our heart is to bring those toxic friends, to bring our friends and our family, to build a bridge from where they are to where Jesus is. Now, anytime there's a great banquet, there's bound to be some party crashers, and it didn't take long for some party crashers to crash this great banquet. This is number four of the story. There's the complaint. Um, Luke 5, verse 30 says this, But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Now, what's really sad to me is this should have been the group of men who were celebrating along and said, wow, we've seen a great miracle of God. This man has repented from his lifestyle and is now following this rabbi named Jesus. This should have been the first group of men that celebrated, but they complained. As I was thinking about why on earth did they complain, I don't think their, their question was, why do you eat and drink with them? But I think what was behind their question, what was behind their complaint is, why are you building relationships with people like that rather than with people like us? Because to Jesus to sit down, share a meal, share a drink with someone was to say in the first century, I'm building a relationship with you. You and I are now friends. And I think what happened in the heart of the Pharisees was complaint was flowing from a jealous heart. Why are you with them you should be with us. Pharisees wanted absolutely nothing to do with the sinners because that would bring their status down. Guilt by association. If people started seeing Pharisees and they wanted to protect their rep, if, they wanted, if people started seeing them with tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners, then people would start thinking pretty funny about them. Jesus says, I'm building friendship and relationship with the likes of those you choose to reject. Now, I'm pretty, pretty thankful uh, that Jesus was not concerned with winning the popular vote. I'm pretty thankful that Jesus was not so much concerned with who he was hanging out with and how that would impact his reputation. I'm thankful that I see in Jesus, he just loved people, regardless of title or position in life. He just looked at them, and he loved them. Now, I felt in my heart as I was preparing this week, getting pretty judgmental to these Pharisees. And I was like, man, who do these guys think they are? And then I start hearing God talk to me, and 
Really, Michael? Who, who do you think? Why don't you ask yourself that question? And the question that I felt really convicted by was, is there anyone right now, Michael, grumbling at you for the company that you keep? And I felt this question come to me, and I was like, wow, I'm not sure if there's anyone right now grumbling or complaining at me because of the company that I keep. And I started to kind of examine how I was answering this question, and I was coming to the conclusion, is it because I've become so guarded, so guarded in making sure the company I keep is protecting the image I want to project? Now, before you throw a stone at me, let me ask you that same question. Anyone complaining or grumbling at you because of the company you keep? And if you say, well, there's no one complaining, at least have the courage to ask yourself the question, is it because I'm really making sure the company that I keep is going to help project the image that I really want to have in people's eyes? I'm really thankful, as I've said, Jesus was not concerned with what others were going to say of him. He was more concerned about reaching those people that had been completely rejected. Now we come to the last part of this story. The last part of the story is the mission. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus makes really clear, healthy people don't need a doctor. I have come to call sinners to repentance. Now, the Bible makes really clear, and so does Jesus, that there is not one person who is righteous before God, meaning there's not one person who's without sin or could claim perfection before God. So Jesus is not saying that there's actually a community of people out there who have achieved a righteousness of their own. That's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, he is saying that there are people who believe that they are righteous in and of themselves and have no need for a Savior. Jesus is not coming for those who are seeking to save self or self-salvation. He's seeking to come for those who know that they need a Savior. This was now about three weeks ago. Uh, I went to the doctor. Uh, I've been having a really bad uh, go of it, respiratory infection and stuff like that. Now, I haven't been to the doctor in, in uh, seven years. When I moved here seven years ago, I had to go for a physical, and I don't like people touching me that... Um, or doctors. So I didn't go back. Um, if they'd keep their hands off, I would be fine. I'm more than happy to go have a conversation. But I show up and, um, and the nurse who's, you know, doing her thing, you know, looks at me and she says, now when's the last time you were at the doctor? And I said, you know, seven years ago. And uh, she looked at me just, and no exaggeration, what do you think, you're perfect? <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, no? I'm, why haven't you been to the doctor? Uh, I'm, I'm a loser. I don't know. I just haven't been to the doctor. And I haven't been to the doctor because in my head, I don't think I need to go to the doctor. Therefore, I don't go to the doctor. This is the medical metaphor that Jesus is using. If you don't think you're sick, you don't go to the doctor. It's not until you realize you have a problem that you actually show up and go to the doctor. So this is a great question of there are a lot of people who don't see themselves as spiritually sick people 
as it were. I'm doing good works, I'm doing good deeds, and I'm okay. Those things kind of soothe my soul. I'll just continue to do these good things, perform, you know, and not mess up too royally, and I'll be okay. But people who have that mentality don't realize that the reason they're doing good works and the reason that they're trying to perform is because beneath all of that is a sick soul. And they're trying to soothe or fix that sick soul by self-salvation, by good works, by good performance. And if that's you, you're going to miss the invitation of a lifetime to follow Jesus because you'll think to yourself, I don't need to. I don't have a problem. I'm going along fine. Jesus said, I've come not for people who don't think that they need me, but I've come to actually call sinners to repent. And I want to be really clear on what Jesus said his mission was. Jesus called people to repent of don't make your life, Levi, about you. Follow me. Levi, I am the leader. You are the follower. Don't switch that around. Levi, I'm not your co-pilot that you just call upon when you get lost or you need some directions. Jesus called people to repent. You're going this way. You're walking in self-indulgence, selfishness, self-provision, self-guidance. You're walking in the way of self, but if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus says, follow me, which means don't go that way, but begin to walk this way. Now, I'm real excited this morning uh, to have someone who's going to share their encounters testimony, and in many ways, I know a lot of you are here today excited about some things that we're going to be announcing today. Uh, But before I invite um, them up to share their encounter testimony, I want to just leave you with three questions from this text. I encourage you to write these questions down. Question number one, is Jesus worth following? Now, if you answer yes to that question, that Jesus, in fact, is worth following, then examine yourself right now and say, am I following full-time or am I a part-time guy? Am I following Jesus in all times, in all places, in all situations and circumstances? Am I full-time? Am I doing this no matter where I'm at? Or am I just a part-time follower? I'm following when it's convenient, when it's comfortable. Or I'm following when Jesus is leading me ultimately to a place I'd like to go anyways. If Jesus is worth following, then, and you're a part-time follower then what you're communicating to Jesus is ultimately you're not really worth following. I'll give you part-time followership, but the other half, I'll find someone else or something else to follow. So question number one, is Jesus worth following? My heart would be for all of us here to say, yes, Jesus is worth following because there is none like Jesus. I'm not a part-time guy. I'm full-time. Question number two, who in your life are you wanting to see meet Jesus, and what are you doing to make that introduction a reality? Another way to think about this is if you were going to throw a great banquet in honor of Jesus, (coughs) who's on your guest list? Who are you inviting to the party where they too would meet Jesus? 
Question two, who in your life are you wanting to see meet Jesus and what are you doing to make that introduction? Now, I think a lot of us would say, well, I have a list of names and I'm praying for them and I would continue to pray for them. But would you marry your prayer to some invitations? Levi literally invited his friends into the space and place where Jesus was. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but we do this every single Sunday. Every Sunday, we do this at 1030. Every Sunday at 1030, minus a hurricane here or there, we do this thing called Genesis. Invite your friends to come with you. Why? Because every Sunday, we're going to make a big deal about Jesus. We're going to worship him, we're going to talk about him, and we're going to respond to him. Every Sunday, there is a celebration that breaks out here. If you're in community group, invite your friends that you would love to build a bridge from where they are to Jesus, invite them into your community group. Come, check out these men and women that know me and love me and encourage me and challenge me. And don't judge me or criticize me, but walk with me. Come and meet this community who the community is making a big deal about this man, Jesus. Invite people into your home. This is what Levi did. There's got to be space in our life where we're inviting neighbor, friend, co-worker into our house for drink and dinner. Who in your life are you wanting to see meet Jesus, and what are you doing to make that introduction a reality? Last question, if Jesus' mission was and is to call sinners to repentance, how do we continue to live out that mission? One way is if you call yourself a follower, identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, then we must model a lifestyle of repentance for those around us. I don't just repent once, I repent daily, every moment. When I start walking the way of self, when I start indulging in sin, whatever it might be, I'm modeling for Christians, non-Christians around me, a repentant lifestyle, not just a one-off, one-time repentance. The question is, if Jesus' mission was, is to call sinners to repentance, how do we continue to live out that mission? Well, we live out the mission by modeling repentance, and the second way that we model, uh, that we live out the mission of Jesus is we plant churches that will be about making much of Jesus and his missions. We plant churches all over the place that will be about inviting people who don't know God, who are far from God, to begin a relationship with God. We go to where people are. 